0: Good morning. I'm Sana and you're listening to Let's Grab Coffee on WYXR 91.7 FM. Every Monday morning, I'm joined by experts from across the country who are investigating our most pressing social issues and common curiosities. Over the next hour, you'll learn about their inspirations, motivations, and of course, what they know about the world around us. So grab that cup of coffee and get ready for a fun and insightful conversation. Who are you and how do you know? Much of our identity begins with a name, the first name, a family name. We begin to shape our ideas of who we are with family and especially with our origin stories, how we came to be part of our family, how our family became a family, how we came to live in this country or in this specific community where we grew up. But, you know, the funny thing about stories is that stories change. We learn new pieces of a story or we learn a new perspective. And sometimes that can change what we thought we knew to be true. So how do we make sense of who we are when that happens? These questions of identity, family, and truth are at the center of Shannon Gibney's latest novel, The Girl I Am, Was, and Never Will Be, a speculative memoir of transracial adoption. Shannon Gibney is an award-winning author and university professor, and I'm excited to chat with her today. Her previous novels include See No Color, which is drawn from her life as a transracial adoptee, and Dream Country, which received five-star reviews and earned her a second Minnesota Book Award. Her latest young adult novel, which is what we'll be talking about today, The Girl I Am Was and Never Will Be, blurs the lines of reality, science, and speculative fiction In this story about origins, family, race, adoption, and personal identity, splitting herself into two women, Shannon presents two timelines, bridged together via family, and a mysterious portal in this eye-opening examination of adoption. The Girl I Am Was and Never Will Be, a speculative memoir of transracial adoption, is available in bookstores everywhere January 10th. Good morning, Shannon. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm
1: so excited to be here. Thank you for the invitation.
0: Yes, I am so excited. Let me just go ahead and say like this book is everything I didn't know I needed in a book (laughs) about adoptees. Um, I didn't know what to expect, right? Speculative, fiction, this memoir. Um, So I had no clue. um, And you took me on a journey um, and I was right there with you. And, you know, towards the end of the book, you have this line that says, it is something for an adoptee to be recognized. And that line, it just, it took my breath away because yes, yes, yes. And, And this book, this book does that.
1: So I I have so many questions. because I always say, you know, if you're lucky. You know, you're you're sort of like with this this piece of art, this this book, uh, for a long time, for years, and um, and you're really the only one with it. Or in my case, I'm lucky enough to have a really uh, great editor, Andrew Carr, who's uh, this is our third book together, and um, you know he always pushes me to make things uh, better, um, and, which is which is great um but uh then once your book is published it, it's not yours anymore yeah you know yeah. it's sort of like a child it goes out into the world but then it comes back to you through other people um and their experiences uh with with the book and um so and it, it is a really beautiful experience because uh you know sometimes things will come back to you through people that you, you yourself didn't necessarily see or maybe you saw it a different way and mm-hmm. and so yeah so I I really um I'm curious when you when you said in the beginning like as an adoptee this was the book that you sort of I think you said wanted um, everything you didn't know that mm-hmm. you wanted and meet it can you can you unpack that a little bit what does yeah. it mean Um
0: well, you know, as a, a transracial adoptee, a transnational transracial adoptee, um, you know, not seeing, not being part of a community, I know some adoptees do experience, you know, growing up in an adoptee community, um, there are different resources, but I I didn't have that. So it was literally just me trying to figure out, like, what does it mean to be adopted? What does it mean to be uh, Korean? What does it mean to be Asian in a white family? Um you know, trying to figure out all these things on my own and not really having any good, positive, supportive models for what that meant, Um, you know, growing up in the age pre-Google, you know, not even being able to ask Google. Yes, yes
1: that's real. It's real. Yeah. yeah, things changed in the digital environment and people could have, you know, Facebook groups and all kinds of things. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So just being...
0: um you know finally coming to accept that there are no answers and that not even that there are no answers but that i shouldn't even be asking the questions right that having that curiosity and that imagination um you know so tamped down that you just are afraid to even ask because there's there's no answer, right? And so what happens when you don't see yourself, when you feel like who you are or what you are, no one understands and it's wrong to even kind of be that thing. Um. So with this book, it's like, wow, you know, like, you know, um, everything I didn't know I needed because, you know, of course, throughout the book, you're weaving experience the adoptee experience Mm -hmm. or many of adoptee experiences um I shouldn't say the because there's not one but so Mm -hmm. many of the the common questions we have the themes um that we experience and to see that in the page Mm -hmm. and also I love um the different perspectives you bring in so birth mother perspective birth father perspective right Mm -hmm. and just kind of opening up a world for us to imagine, you know, like, what would it have been like in this different life, in this different timeline of being with our birth families, or even, you know, what would it have been like for me to have had a book like this, you know, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, (laughs) right, right. How would that have changed the story of myself that Mm. I was telling myself as I was growing up?
1: Mm that's really rich. No, thank you so much for sharing that with me. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we were chatting just a little bit before we started the formal interview. And and I was saying, you know, I don't necessarily have a conscious audience in mind as I'm writing. But um, I think in some ways, I'm always writing towards that girl that I was at 12, who felt so alone, and so isolated. And did not have any language to express that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah and, and and for all the other um adoptees out there, you know, particularly, you know, transracial adoptees and adoptees mm-hmm. of color who, you know, were like <laughs> how do we get here? <laughs> like we're in the middle of this like, you know, island of whiteness. A lot of us and and you know, and like but yeah, it's sort of like the way that whiteness and and most um sort of dominant cultural systems um operate is like well you're not supposed to to talk about it you're not supposed to admit that oh wow you know like everybody around me is white and like (laughs) that's weird and you
0: know yes oh my goodness Shannon, so much in there but you know it's interesting how you say like you're we're not supposed to notice that like oh we're the only not white people here but yet people continue to point out to us that you are the only white person here and we're just supposed to take it. Yeah. Um, you, you write in, you know, you share a, a vignette about being at the the dinner table with <laughs> um, your biological family and them, you know, pointing out like, or making kind of these quote unquote jokes about you being the only black person in the room, but also mm-hmm. saying a lot of racist stuff about other groups of color as well. Mm-hmm. And, I'm like, yeah, <laughs> yes, that, yeah. Oh, wait,
1: We're And it's all like having dinner. It's like, you know, like together time, like bonding time, right? And it's just sort of like, you know, I had this great review from Kirkus and you know, it's like this, this reviewer was like, yeah, that in each timeline she can't quite, you know, whether she's Shannon or Erin, which was my name at birth, she can't quite get away from these racist microaggressions at the family dinner table, right? And like, I just feel like, and you know, um, yes, right? like whether or not, you know, uh, you're, you're raised by your, you know, white, your loving white middle-class adoptive family, or you're raised by your, you know, struggling in many ways, uh, um, uh, white birth mom, um, and, and, and their working class, you know, white family, um, like you're gonna have to deal with the racism, like you're gonna, You know, um, and, you know, I was talking to um, Haley Lash and um, Adoptees On two days ago and, you know, and and she was saying, you know, I just think the book also sort of breaks down this idea that somehow, you know, it it maybe would be less racist if like the people who are mixed like me might have a less racially isolating slash racist experience if we had not been adopted out into these white families. Um, and she's like in the book, <laughs> totally shows that that's, that's not necessarily the case. And what I said to her was, you know, since uh, for quite a long time, I would say since my teens, I mean, there's a reason why a lot of my my friends, um, a lot of my, my uh, platonic girlfriends are mixed race women, you know, because we have, and not adoptees, because we have a lot of the same experiences um, in our families and communities um, in terms of these issues around race. Yeah,
0: yeah, absolutely. I mean, also this idea of isolation and being isolated um, it is such, you know, the transracial adoptee experience and transnational transracial adoptee experience as well. Um, and it's it's kind of funny because I've said before, like we experience this isolation, right? Where we're racially isolated, and have gotten some pushback. Actually, when I was working on my dissertation research, I got some pushback about the idea of isolation. Because um, I'm like, yeah, we we are in our families and we have friends and we're involved in you know whatever interests we have, but there is a piece of our experience that is completely isolated, while also maintaining all these you know social activities and, and all these friendships and and, um, and community. But again, we have this experience that, you know, no one else is having, or at least that we are not connected to those other people who are having it.
1: Right. And that's where I think a lot of the the shame comes in, you know, where it's like that, again, we can't articulate that, you know, as we go through, you know, sort of like the normal um, adolescent development and then, you know, into um being adults right and and having uh, many of us not all everybody has different experiences but having these connections i know i did with black communities finally you know um as an adult and having that be very um healthy and nurturing but always at some point feeling like an imposter right like okay they're gonna find out (laughs) right which is only compounded by the fact that i'm half white too right but it's like oh they're gonna find out that like i'm not really black right like i can't perform blackness like
0: you know i
1: i'm learning black english but like it's you know um yeah so i mean i i just think and, you know and then a lot of my friends who are Korean adoptees it's like oh well I don't speak Korean you know I wasn't raised on Korean food I didn't go to Korean church I didn't you know and it's just very much like well you're not really Korean American then like you're not really Asian American right um and um and yeah and that experience you know and I think I use this phrase in the book you know growing up in the heart of the heart of empire right I mean there's there's a lot of right there's a lot I mean there's a lot of work on uh, by um, BIPOC folks on um, how we know white people better than they know themselves while you know people who are <laughs> transracial adoptees and multiracial folks right like I mean we know intimately like not just kind of okay the white people at work or whatever right. Um, but like within the family right like all of the hypocrisy and the idiosyncrasies and the unresolved racial stuff that's just in every family right um Mm -hmm. and some of that of course gets played out on our bodies and yeah so it's a lot there's a lot of stuff there
0: yeah yes and thank you for bringing that up you know we are in the heart of the heart of empire which is And that is that is our experience. And I'm so glad that you've written this book that kind of brings that experience into the forefront and out of our own right out of our individual experience, out of the shame Mm -hmm. um, that we might feel that is not ours to feel right, Mm -hmm. that is not ours to carry. Um, uh, And so I think that was also part of what I loved about the book is that, You know, for me as an adoptee, I'm reading it, of course, through my lived experiences and all the things that you're saying where it's like, yes, like, yes, 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 right? (laughs) Um, But even for someone who is not an adoptee, like you are pulling back that curtain and inviting non-adoptees into this world that for some folks might feel like fiction in and of itself to read about these experiences, very real experiences of of family um, and the inclusion and exclusions that we have to navigate.
1: Yeah, I mean, I feel like, you know, adoptees are not the only people who have these ruptures in our identities and these ruptures in our stories, living in a culture that really values kind of like a a holistic seamless narrative um for these things right um and so you know there there are people who are you know refugees there are people who are immigrants there are people you know um usually it's marked by trauma like those ruptures are marked by trauma right Of, of some sort um but um you know everybody has had some kind of experience i think in their life, regardless of what their, you know, racial or other identities are, where it's like they, they, you know, have this one story in their mind that they thought was sort of the way things were and then come to find like, well, no, that's not actually it at all, you know? And all of us are in families, you know, and all of us know how complicated families are, you know? Um, You can have a sibling that, you know, you might actually be very close to and they could have a completely different experience in yeah. the family than you have and neither one of you is wrong it's just that's just the way it is you know so these things these are things that yeah definitely um are are, are brought to the forefront and I think are sort of like foundational of the adoptee experience um you know the way that it, it, it's sort of structured and laid out here but it, it, these are things that I I think that and I hope that um you know every reader um, can have some kind of connection um, and recognition with.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Because family is so complicated, so complicated. I mean, it is, it is. And, and, I mean, and, and that's the thing, it's like, it's not like other people's families aren't complicated. It's just that when you're, you know, mixed, when you're a transracial adoptee, it's just another layer of intersectionality, right? So it's just another layer of, of complexity to navigate. Yeah.
0: And you know our our complexity is is right there for everybody to see and inquire about. So right. in many ways we can't hide it the way that yeah. some families are hiding all of these family secrets that, that, that pop up in in how you're experiencing family and experiencing love and and identity and how you think about yourself. Uh, But like any, any good secret, it it typically comes, something comes out and you have that, that, that rupture, that unraveling of what you thought was true. And then you have to piece it, piece it back together in some sort of way.
1: Yes. No, Totally.
0: Totally. Yeah. And I
1: mean, yeah, that's the thing is sort of like our differences. So we're hyper visible, you know, so it's and then people feel like it's OK to come up to you and be like, well, how is that your mom? And, you know, where are you from? And like all this stuff. Right. And, you know, and then as adults, many of us get salty and are just like, oh, yeah, how's your divorce? You know, they're like, whatever, you know, something that it's just like, why would you feel it's appropriate? I don't know you. Right. Like, I don't let's be clear right that is not appropriate like i'm done you know um and so yeah i mean i got to a point you know i'm 47 now but i got to a point in my 20s where i just that would be my response you know because i'm just like just you know and i'd like to say yes it was a lot of white people but there were black people who would do that too oh yeah yeah. you know and especially being mixed you know having people come up what are you oh i'm a human you know, like, what is going on? Right? Um,
0: yeah. Yeah, we do one one superpower we have is we have way more practice at at navigating some of these questions oh, and and you know kind of piecing the stories together telling a narrative that we want to tell or responding in a way that that we want to respond. Um and so I love that because yes, we're hyper visible, but that doesn't give you the right to roll up on us and <laughs>
1: <laughs> like like do you have no home training whatsoever? Like you're showing yourself like back up and sit down you know so but people feel entitled you know for some especially around racial stuff that it's like it's like a psychological come apart it's like to me and i don't want to like objectify trans folks or think that you know um this these experiences are somehow equal because they're not but to me it's sort of like you know when somebody comes into the bathroom that doesn't look the woman's bathroom and like right. they don't look like a female body person, and people are like, oh, you know, yeah. it's like that, you know, and it's just sort of like, uh, and that, but they feel empowered mm-hmm. to have that response, which even sometimes can be like a violent response, yeah. right? To yeah. police these borders, kind of thing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so I think the experience of being a transracial adoptee made me like hypersensitive to those kind of reactions that I have in myself mm-hmm. around other things. You know and um and i always say too that i do think it's made me a better parent too i have an eight year old and a 12 year old um and just to understand like you know the power dynamics within Mm -hmm. families which is something that people don't like to talk about or admit right that it's like because parenting is so hard and it's so exhausting and it's all the things but it's like you still have an enormous amount of power over Mm -hmm. your children over like the narrative of your family um and like their experiences within it racially and otherwise you know and so to just kind of really try to constantly check myself like okay this is my experience that's not necessarily my son's experience that he's having right now and that's not necessarily my daughter's experience and guess what that that gets to be okay like that doesn't have to negate my identity however i think of myself as mom as black mom as like whatever like they get to have that. And there's going to be things that, like, I just don't understand about being, you know, their dad's librarian. about being, you know, uh, Black kids, you know, uh, African immigrant and African American. Like, you know, we live in Minneapolis, like, growing up in an urban district in, you know, the 2020s. Like, I mean, it's just they're having a different experience. And, like, that needs to be okay, you know? Yeah.
0: Absolutely. I love that. Well, let's take a quick break. You're listening to Let's Grab Coffee on WYXR 91.7 FM. I'm Sunna and we're here on WYXR 91.7 FM. This is Let's Grab Coffee and I'm chatting today with Shannon Gibney, the author of The Girl I Am Was and Never Will Be, a speculative memoir of transracial adoption. Now, Shannon, one thing that you do in this book is you you have these parallel timelines and multiple timelines that are happening and a lot of it is centered around, um, Aaron and Shannon, right? Mm-hmm. So can you tell us just a little bit about that choice, um, mm-hmm. to kind of intersperse Aaron and Shannon into these stories in this way?
1: Yeah. So, um, I was born in 1975, uh, to, uh, uh, Irish American, um, a woman and an African American father. And then, um. I did my birth search when I was 19. And at that time, I um, found out that my birth father had died um, from complications from a high-speed police chase in Palo Alto, California. But I did find out that my birth mother was still living at that time. And um, she uh, had put her name on something called the Central Registry, um, which when you were of age, um, an adult in the eyes of the state, Um, you can put your name on that and, um, uh, adoptees and birth parents can find each other through that. If there's a match, um, and they find that, you know, they facilitate that through your adoption agency. And so, um, you know, I, I found, I found her when I was 19. And I also found out at that time that my name at birth was Aaron, Rebecca powers. Mm. Um, and so, you know, (laughs) that was revelatory, you know, it's like, you don't really, you don't know what to do with that information. Um, and, you know, I, I I have thought about Aaron powers in different ways throughout the years, you know, who, who, which, who is that girl slash young woman, you know, what, would be her relationship with her her mother Mm -hmm. um you know and i had a very complicated difficult (laughs) relationship with patricia powers my uh, birth mother um for a lot of different reasons Mm -hmm. Um, and aaron's relationship in the book is really difficult with her as well Mm -hmm. Um, and so i really wanted to in this book like explore deeply, like go in deeply to the experience of um, an alternate life, you know, um, based on choices that like you you had no control over really, yeah. um, which, again, adoptees are not the only people who have this experience. But um, there's actually a lot of adoptees <laughs> who you are just sort of like, you know, they, they might not talk about it, but mm-hmm. it's just sort of like, you know, yeah, like, what, what would it have been like, you know, to grow up um, with my mother in Korea, or, you know, etc. Um, and, um, and my thought was, and this definitely proved true, as I um, had the experience of, of, of writing the book, that there's, there's certain knowledge there's certain truth there's certain information that is really valuable
0: mm-hmm.
1: that that you can get uh from sitting deeply with those questions and with the that those sorts of alternate timelines even if they're not necessarily quote unquote true right like which is like the holy grail like truth is like sort of like the holy grail of like you know american realist mm-hmm. um you know uh fiction and nonfiction and whatever right but it's just sort of like yeah, but that <laughs> there's just certain there's certain questions and certain issues that like are are deeply important that mm-hmm. you you can't really investigate if your first if your if your most important fidelity is to the truth. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I love this idea of, you know, what is true, that there can be multiple truths. Um, something that you kind of touch on in the book is is just the idea that we'll never know the truth. If there even is a a truth to be known, um, we will never know it. And that is also something that as an adoptee, I've also come to understand and accept because even if you are in reunion, you will never know the truth, right? Capital T of, you know, what happened, you know, why relinquishment, you know, the hopes and dreams, you know, all these things, you will only know what that person is telling you today as they're rewriting a narrative for themselves as well, as well. So yeah. being in that, that discomfort of there is no one story, there is no one truth. And I love the way that you, you know, create it for us to enter into this world of these multiple truths, these multiple realities. Um, and also I thought it was so, um refreshing, I guess, to see a reunion story that is as complicated and messy as we are as human beings.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, my dear friend Um Sun Young-shin, who is a Korean adoptee and a, a wonderful poet, I mean she, she that was one of her comments when she finished the book was that you know, so many reunion stories end with the first reunion, right? And she's like, I think it's actually important that you know you're older, that you know you're you're 47, and you know like you met her when you were 19, you know, and so it's like all these years, you know, that you're sort of reflecting and refracting, and you know things are changing in your own life, right? And um, you know, you first I first met her when I was a, a college student, and um, and then you know. Um, graduated and, um, you know, uh, went to grad school worked. And, um, you know, then I I got married and had kids and, um, and, you know, (laughs) that that's a lot of life, right? That and that's not even her life, right? That she's and, um, and then I always say to people, you know, (laughs) to get to a place, as a parent, where it's very clear to you that the best choice for everyone involved is is to terminate your parental rights, is to give up your child and have somebody else you don't know raise them. That's intense. Yeah, I mean, there's like a lot of stuff that that you have. There's so many steps for you to get there, right? There's and there's so many things that you're navigating um, in terms of oppression. Um, And so, you know, those things don't go away. 20 years later, you know, when, and if you know, you're in reunion, if anything, the knot is just tighter, you know, um, and so it's not like, oh, like, oh, tiptoeing through the tulips. You know, it's like, no, like, my birth mom is still like, she is this, you know, white, lesbian, A person whose family was not okay initially with that identity and um you know from this working class environment and this family that you know (laughs) has like a lot of weird you know racist ideas that like have not been unpacked right that then she's taken on right Mm -hmm. and it's like and then she has all this guilt and emotion and all kinds of you know like I mean, honestly, I can't, I'm not a birth mom or birth parent. So I can't imagine giving up, you know, a child. I lo I did lose a, a baby in a stillbirth, you know, and that was completely devastating, but that's different, you know, than knowing that like, okay, this person is out in the world and I have given them up and like, I mean, psychologically, I don't, that's super intense. Right. And so yeah. she's dealing with all of that. Um, yeah so yeah i mean that's that's one of the things that as i was putting this book together that wasn't at the forefront of my mind like okay you know i want to make sure that i tell this story um you know of reunion like (laughs) longitudinally but um but now that it's done you know that is something that, that That is coming back to me, sort of in waves, as people are reading it. Like, wow, okay, there really aren't that many stories out there that really show like the deep complexity of of reunion. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and I, I think it's just so important because otherwise we get these very limited portrayals that make it sound like, oh yay, and then you find your birth family and like you said, you're holding hands and singing songs, skipping <laughs> through
1: <laughs> through yeah. a field of fresh flowers. <laughs> and, and it's like oh you know, no. <laughs> no, yeah, and as, as you say, people are people, right? It's it's really messy and complicated and um and all the things and, and even if you have like, you know, you're the best intentions, and you're, you sort of, you know, there's going to be a lot, there's going to be a lot of
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, But I think you do it so wonderfully in bringing in this idea of who your birth mother, you know, may have been at different, right. Different points in her life and how she may have been thinking through, you know, relinquishing her child. Um, So I I found a lot of compassion and complexity and also, you know, this is a, a complicated woman, right? We're, we're, we're many things. We're not good or bad. We're just many different things. And so I love, just kind of imagining you know what would it have been like for a birth mother or birth father you know how are they wrestling through these things um and you know many tears were shed while reading this book <laughs> tell me about the
1: tears Suna. tell me about the tears
0: well i'm also thinking about you know you in one um uh, one section of the book you're you're reflecting on the birthday right and imagining like birth mother on this day like you have a child you that you kind of remember that day <laughs> like that, that's, oh, yeah. that's in your mind yes yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. and so just imagining like what is that like for a person who you know relinquishes their child or forced to, or for, forced to give up their child you know in in reflecting on you know that remembrance and I think as an adoptee who is is not in reunion um it just made me think like yeah, there is someone out there who is remembering me Mm -hmm. on my birthday, Mm -hmm. whether it's the birthday that I I know is my birthday or the day they know that Mm -hmm. I was actually born, right? Um,
1: And wow, like that connection. Mm -hmm. Right, it's felt like even if, again, fact is not everything, right? (laughs) Like it, it, but this is something as a human being, it, it affects you and it imprints the experience imprints on your body. Yes. You know? And so there's no way that, you know, even if you're suppressing it or repressing it, I guess would be the word, like it's still affecting you. You know, you're still you're still responding and reacting to it. Um and um and so yeah, just because we can't point at something and locate, like that's you know, that's it. You know, that's my birth mom, or that's the day that I was born, or that's you know. It doesn't make it any less real or any less important. I mean, I I do feel like that's one of the implicit arguments that the book is making. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: yeah. And I love that you brought up this idea of we still hold it in our bodies, right? Yeah. Just like our, our our birth parents are are still holding a lot of memories in the body. We're we're still holding a lot in our body that maybe we can't even access, but that has deeply impacted how we are making new connections, how we are feeling safe and secure or not. Yeah. Um, and and there's a lot of those themes in the book. And I was like, yes, this is you know. Uh. <laughs>
1: Yeah, the sort of you know intergenerational nature of adoption, I think, um, is is also a huge part of the book, you know, and how that gets passed down, um, even through the holes, right? The the lack of information that we may have, um, you know, either biologically, right? Because part of the story too is, you know, my birth mom, when I met her was like, you need to do regular breast exams because there's this history of breast cancer in our family and um and you know (laughs) being young I was like okay yeah whatever you know and then um in 2019 I was diagnosed with breast cancer you know um and I had been diligent about getting regular mammograms because of her because she warned me you know Mm -hmm. um and um and yeah, in my, in my adoptive family too, you know, it's just like regular checkups, all these things. But it's like <laughs> a lot of people don't know um, how limited the health history that most adoptees have mm-hmm. um, and how that can really have a detrimental impact um, on our lives and well being and health. Um, and so, but that too, Is a form of lineage, right? Like even the even breast cancer, right? Even something that's trying to kill you is something that is passed down, um, and is therefore, um, you know, a connection, um, you know, to be noted. um, Even, you know, I sort of argue, like in some weird way, you know, cherished as as an adoptee because it it does connect me to all these women um, in my in my maternal line on that side. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Um, Let's take another break. This is Let's Grab Coffee on WYXR 91.7 FM. You're listening to Let's Grab Coffee on WYXR 91.7 FM. I'm Sana, and I'm here with Shannon Gibney, the author of The Girl I Am Was and Never Will Be, a speculative memoir of transracial adoption. Now, before the break, you were talking about what we have the these connections we have to, to people we you know we don't know or and we may never know. And you know what struck me too was in the book you talk about your birth father yes. and some of his his interests and his intellect and curiosity and um you know thinking about some of these interests we have that seem to come from nowhere that aren't shared in our you know adoptive families. Um, and that also sticks out to me as we're thinking about you know where does this interest come from or this personality where does this mm-hmm. come from mm-hmm. and it it is like these pieces to you know the life we could have had or or, or the people who we could have could have known mm-hmm.
1: yeah no and um birth fathers you know there are these little micro essays on the absurdities of the adoptee experience in the book too mm-hmm. um and and one of them is is sort of, like the typical um, popular adoption story, right? And, and the birth father is rarely if ever mentioned um, in that. And, um, you know, for a lot of um, mixed black people of a certain generation, um, you know, born in, I think, you know, probably late 60s, 70s, early 80s, you know, the sort of racial configuration of our parents was like white woman, black man. And so blackness is sort of tied to the paternal line in that way. Um, and um, yeah, like it, I didn't have very much information to go on with my birth father, particularly because he died when I was six. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, but his family uh was based in in Detroit, uh, which was about 45 minutes from where I grew up, and so I, I was able to um, connect with them and you know i'm still in contact with my my aunt, Annette, um, who's very welcoming and helpful to me shared a lot of information. Um, but um. yeah just sort of extrapolating the little bits of information that I, I have about my birth father um. And I never got to meet him in mm-hmm. in real life, but through this book, through art, um I get to. Yeah. Uh, yeah.
0: And I love that because again, you know, as you mentioned, we the birth father like does not exist in my <laughs> No like just no. uh, completely erased. And so I love the way that you incorporate him in this story um, in a way that is very integral to, to this idea of like who, who, who I could have been and, and even who I am. Right. And so I love that you bring in, you know, this picture of a man, right. Who very important
1: <laughs> in your life. um, And so I really appreciated that. Thank you for saying that. Yeah. And, um, I mean, one of the things, you know, Boise Collins, Jr. Boise Christopher Collins, sorry. So Boise is the name of my birth father and it's also the name of my grandfather. And then um, I have an uncle also named Boise and then I named my son Boise. He's, <laughs> Bo- he's the fourth in the line. Um, so sometimes it can get a little confusing, but Boise Christopher Collins, my uncle, when he read uh, an early draft of the book, I mean, what he said was, he was like, you know, I asked him like, what, what are you really taking from this? And he said, I think the biggest thing is the journey, you know, this, this journey that you're on, but he was like, but also, it's also this, um, this kind of ode to your father Mm -hmm. in this, like, you're honoring your father in this way. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I I love the name, right? The naming practices and even thinking about Boise Christopher Collins, like the naming practices, you know, with him and then thinking about your son as well. And you know of course this idea of, of name and legacy and identity is, is interwoven throughout the book Um, but just thinking about you know your son and, and and continuing that legacy and bringing forth you know that that part of your family from the past but also that you're creating um mm-hmm. so powerful
1: yeah no and um yeah that part also always moving for me you know like the intentional parts that we we can you know there's there's these parts of our stories that precede us that we we don't really have any control over but you know we're also here yeah um and so we do have control over certain parts of our stories um and um I know it's it's very complicated, and my son is, is young. You know, he's almost thirteen, and so he doesn't, you know, he understands some of it. You know, but a lot of it is abstract, and so, um, but I wanted a name that would ground him, you know, and I know that it does. Yeah, sure.
0: yeah, yeah. I, I love that. It's it's so it's so beautiful. Um. The ability to rewrite the narrative, yes. uh, but also to decide, you know, what—what what is grounding us, right? What are we tethered to and to making that what we want it to be? which is also a lot of what I got from the book, right? We get to decide if we're going to walk through that portal. We get to decide, you know, if we're going to create a different timeline for ourselves. We don't have to be beholden to a past. And we also don't have to be beholden to, you know, the adoption narratives that (laughs) we learn and that are trying to be forced upon us. We get to decide. Um, I love that. I was really um, taken, I think, by the naming practices. Um, So thinking about your son and even, you know, just the family um, on your father's side, but also obviously Aaron and Shannon and, you know, this idea of a whole nother person, right. That was marked by this name. Um, And now who, who could they be? Um, And of course it made me think about a lot of adoptees who reclaim, you know, reclaim a birth name or just create a different name, right. As a part of saying, this is who I am. This is my story. Um, And it made me think a lot about my own name. So I reclaimed my Korean birth name, which, you know, who named me, who knows, right. Some people reclaim because, you know, they feel this connection to a birth family or birth birth mother. Right. Of course. And other people we know, like it's, you know, some social worker who put down a name, right. I mean, that's the thing. It's just,
1: you know, you don't, a lot of people don't know, particularly, you know my friends who are international, transnational adoptees. You know it's you just don't. You know there's the the texting exchange at the end of the book, right? Like between you know Sun Young and uh, Kim McKee and and Sarah Park Dolan, and it's just this sort of like highlighting the fact of like sort of the the orphan manufacturing process, right? Like how did that happen at a lot of these sites like Korea and 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 um, the fact that you know again you you don't know, you don't, is this my name? Is this my identity? Because so much of that stuff was fabricated. Yeah. Um,
0: So I love the idea of like reclaiming it, right? And even, you know, thinking about that um, in that, text exchange that you include in the book, thinking about what gets lost in translation as well. Yes. Um, so if it's, you know, transnational adoption, what what gets lost in the romanization of names, what get lo- What gets lost even in the transcription of a quote unquote origin story or family history. Okay. Um, and so I, I think about that a lot because like the romanization of my name um, and the way that a Korean person would say it are completely different. And so even for me, like different communities that I'm a part of pronounce my name differently, but I like it because it is also a marking of, if you know me through the adoptee community or through Asian American or Korean American community, you're going to say my name one way. And if you don't know me through that way, you're going to pronounce it in a different way. Um, And I'm okay with that.
1: (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, it expresses, again, it's sort of this refraction of your identity coming back to you right Mm -hmm. it it, it expresses um who you are in these different spaces yeah uh, which again is a form of recognition
0: that Mm -hmm.
1: again for adoptees is really really important because most of us didn't have that growing up
0: Yes. And this book is is such a book of recognition. Like I said, I cried at the end when you have that line about, you know, to be recognized because as humans, that's what we want. We want to be seen. We want to be recognized as we are, as we wish to be seen. And for adoptees, we're, we're navigating that throughout our lives in and, in, you know, with different people in a lot of different ways. Um, now, one thing about the book, you know, obviously a lot about rewriting the narrative, questioning the narratives that we have. And as we started our conversation today, you know, you said the book, you know, it's, it's done. It's out there in the world. And then it kind of has its own life. Right. There's what you wrote and then there's how people receive it. And so I'm also wondering for you now that the book is Out And this is the story as it is written. Um, How do you feel about this story? Because I know that, you know, the writing might be done, but the story is never done.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, (laughs) So this is my... I call it, you know, a novel memoir. I don't know what it is, right? So it's my third novel. Mm -hmm. Um, I also write, you know, I've started writing children's picture books. Uh, I've got uh, two anthologies and, you know, so I I write across uh, many genres and and communities (laughs) and whatnot, lucky enough to be able to do that. But um, (laughs) I think a lot of writers would say this about at least one of their books, but I mean, I never thought I would write this book. Because I I remember being like this particular book, because I remember being 19 and in the middle of search and reunion and talking to people and they're like, oh, that's an amazing story. You should totally, you're a writer. You should totally write that down. And my response was like, I am never writing this down for people to just consume as like you know a back to school special or you know some ridiculous like you know telenovela or you know whatever i I, like this is my life like Uh it's not entertainment it's not like you know um something to oh that's so interesting like let me learn like there was just something always repulsive about Uh that to me i never wanted to do that um, and so in telling the story um, and, and sort of like the multiple iterations, you know, because, yes, I do have letters from my birth mom. So stuff is is in her voice. Right. Um, and there's, you know, my birth father, you know, which, you know, I, I created based on the information that I have and um, my imagination. And, um, <laughs> yeah, so I mean, I, I, I um, I wanted to write something about the adoptee experience that didn't objectify us, Mm -hmm. that asked deeper questions about our positionality, Mm -hmm. you know, um, in the larger culture, in our families. um, How do you make meaning and a kind of coherent identity when you don't have the information that everyone else in the culture does to do that right like those were more of the questions that i i I really wanted to and 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 sort of like you know in a culture that (laughs) clearly has not uh dealt with our racial past much less our racial present. You know what happens when you have these these families where children are um, some of the only or maybe the only um, like racialized subjects, meaning you know po- folks of color in the family. Mm-hmm. Like, what is the effect of that? Yeah. Yeah. I love,
0: look, I cannot say, you know, <laughs> I can't say enough good things about this book. Um, Absolutely amazing. Thank you so much for, for writing this book. And also, I, lo- I just love the way, even in reading it, I'm like, wait a minute is this true? Is this true? Right. True in quote, like, is this true? Wait a minute, what timeline and what reality am I in, which I think is part of the point, right? Yeah. Um, and, and so I just, I just love it. And it's so, it's so beautifully done. Um, I love, like you said, incorporating, you know, your birth mother's voice, incorporating your father, incorporating um, documents, you know, documents from the adoption agency, and also the, the little micro essays about adoption. So there, I mean everything is is here. I love the book. I uh, <laughs> love it. Um, Shannon, thank you so much for being with us this morning. I cannot again love the book. Can't wait to
1: read it again. <laughs> thank you. And thank you for, you know, I always say um, something so magical happens when adoptees are in a room together, even if it's a, a Zoom room, you know. Yeah. Um and and, and really Talking about the stuff, you know, the real stuff, um, and it, it's it is it it is very emotional for me. So I really appreciate, um, you know, all your insights and um and and thoughtfulness um, that that you brought to our conversation today, and and thank you for sharing it also with a wide audience. Because as we know, when you are uh, from historically marginalized communities. And you're trying to create books and art and and whatnot it can be very hard um to get the word out about it so thank you so much yes thank you
0: thank you again to shannon gibney the author of the girl i am was and never will be a speculative memoir of transracial adoption of course you could tell absolutely love the book and i think You will love it as well. It's available in bookstores January 10th. Uh, For today's positive note, I actually want to leave you with a passage from the book, which says, Embrace that there are no singular truths. There is no one reality. There are no stories without holes. There are only spaces to be breathed into, sometimes rewritten. I love this acknowledgement of there are no singular truths. And I think for those of us who maybe have complicated stories of who we are or who we've been, that we've been telling ourselves, this gives us hope, it gives me hope that we can always rewrite the narratives. We don't have to be beholden to or constrained within or confined within the stories we have been telling us about ourselves, particularly if those are stories filled with shame. But we have the power to rewrite our narratives and in the process rewrite who we are. Well, this has been Let's Grab Coffee on WYXR 91.7 FM. I'm Sana. I'm here every Monday morning. I can't wait to be back here with you, Nick. Week and go ahead and share this show with a friend. You can always listen to the replays of the shows on wyxr.org or also subscribe to Let's Grab Coffee in podcast format available on all streaming platforms.